Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Esoterica. I'm Leah Eichler, and today we have the distinct pleasure of interviewing Terry Fallis. Um, Terry is, oh my goodness, uh, he has a, a long list of accomplishments. I really, I, when I was reading your bio earlier, I'm thinking Terry is the Renaissance man that we, we were, it was in our midst. Um, I mean, um, studied engineering, uh, was, a, a, you know, a, in the government as, a, a, well, you can tell me all about the, your, your liberal uh, experience in the liberal government and, and all your advocacy there. And now a, a best-selling novelist of eight books. I mean, literally like clockwork every two years. I think a new one comes out. It's, I, I mean, you are a master. Um, and Susan and I both finished reading um, Operation <laughs> Angus. We have our, our props uh, like in two days. I mean, neither of us could put it down. So now with that intro, welcome, Terry. Well, thanks so much. What a kind interview. So good of you to read the, the novels. I mean, so often you get interviewed by folks and they haven't read the novel or any of your novels. So very kind of you. Thank you. Well, it's truly a, a pleasure to read. I, I don't think I've kind of just the, for sheer enjoyment of, you know, just having a smile on my face the whole time I was reading it. And um I was telling Leia like about partway through, I started to feel like I was like in just in really safe hands where you're like, oh. I know I'm I'm going to enjoy the rest of this book. I know the plot's gonna be very satisfying. I know I'm going to like like the characters. I'm not too worried that something is gonna happen that's meant to, you know, so many books you read, you're like, uh, they try to make it falsely significant by usually by killing a child or something like that. Yes. I would not be very good at including a, uh, a, you know, murdered child in any of no. my novels, but, yes. but thank you. I'm glad I'm delighted. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, I need to know, there's so many things I want to know. I mean, sorry, I, I meant to say you started out before your career as an, as a best-selling novelist, uh, as a li liberal strategist and, and your engineering background, and somehow you weave all of that into your fiction, which is yeah. really brilliantly done. I mean, it's, I, I was telling Susan, it, it's almost as if this book was, was it, structured by an engineer. I mean, the structure is, <laughs> is, is perfect, like really, like so perfect. So tell us how you bring all your previous mm -hmm. lives into your current writing life. Well, it largely is rooted in my, uh, my disinterest in doing research. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I, I like to plumb the depths of my own experiences and my own life. So I'm a member in good standing of the write what you know school of writing. I, nice. you know, I think writers strive to write with authority and conviction and authenticity. And how better to do that than to draw upon your own experiences without the novels, any of my novels being autobiographical in, in any way. They're really not autobiographical, but I know those worlds well, and right. it just makes it easier for me to write about them in a way mm -hmm. that I hope is compelling and rings true and connects with the reader when I've experienced some of those uh, episodes myself. I mean, I'll let Susan go because I have a, more questions, more follow-up <laughs> questions. I don't want to hog, hog you at the interview subject. Well, I, I wondered about, you know, um, it, it is in some ways a, a, a workplace novel. And um, what do you think about, you know, when you are setting a, 
book in a workplace with all the personalities that um, are involved, how do you make sure it's uh, it's so it's entertaining and yet reflective of the real life uh, office politics and were the office politics you encountered as kind of, um, you know, fraught and uh, ego driven as the ones we see in Operation Angus? Oh, yeah, I think it definitely was. I worked in, in the mid 80s on, on Parliament Hill. Uh, my first job out of university was on Jean Chrétien's staff for the uh, 84 leadership campaign. And uh, I mean, I, I would have done that on a volunteer basis without being paid at all. In fact, I wasn't, exp I, did, I wasn't even looking for a job, but uh, uh, I, I was offered one and I said, yes, I'll, I'll take that experience. Thank you. Uh, so I have been in those smoke filled back rooms, although I, they, they don't really have smoke in them, <laughs> but, but I have been in, in the back rooms and, you know, in politics in particular, there is a, an awful lot of ego and there are people trying to make their mark to put their own stamp on things and mm. not wishing to miss an opportunity to climb another rung on the ladder. Uh, so perhaps more so, well, maybe not, but at least as much as in most other workplaces, because power seems to be something that drives a lot of the people who work in that nether world of mm -hmm. politics. And I, I arrived in Ottawa much more interested in policy than in politics. Mm -hmm. Frankly, back then, I, I didn't understand the distinction between the two, but I learned quite quickly. Uh, but uh, so I think you will find that there is uh, there are, the workplace is accurately portrayed. However, perhaps some of the characters' personality traits have been torqued just a little bit for right. comedic effect, but not enough for it to be unrealistic. There right. are some people there who who behave in that way, and you know some of those characters are are archetypes, mm -hmm. and and politics is overflows with archetypes uh, and you know the Bradley Stanton character the power mongering uh, you know chief of staff who really is only interested in power and doesn't really care about policy or what we might actually achieve as a government mm -hmm. but just much more interested in politics and sticking it to the opposition and sustaining a lead in the polls and, and all of that uh, so that was an easy character to portray because there are so many models for it. Yes. Uh, and, and that's how that world works. And mm -hmm. then you have the policy wonks on the other side who don't really understand how politics works often. And they, but that's a problem because they can't get their vaunted ideas over the finish line because you do need to wrestle with the realities of politics if you want to move something across the finish line in, in the House of Commons. Uh, so I, I had fun pulling it together and, and it really hasn't changed that much. I had <laughs> hoped that it would have yeah. changed. In fact, I wrote my first two novels in a way as a handbook for how we might change politics, illuminating a different path we might take, uh, born out of my frustration and almost bitterness with how we practice politics. Uh, I sort mm -hmm. of arrived on Parliament Hill fresh-faced and ready to serve and, and then the relentless tide of politics kind of beats that public service calling out of you. Right. Uh, yeah. so, so that's those first two novels were 
uh, I mean, yes, they're political satire, but I think of them as satire because there is a broader purpose. And I hope readers might enjoy the story and laugh, but I'd be more fulfilled if they gave passing thought to some of the issues that underlie uh, the fun. Mm -hmm. Now, Operation Angus is a little bit different. I, I don't think of it as a political satire. It's more of a comic thriller of sorts. It, it is. <laughs> well, actually, it's interesting. What what struck me about it um, is, uh, and it's it's so Canadian, and not because it takes place in Ottawa, and not because it it, it revolves around Parliament Hill and the policies of Parliament Hill, but just the personality types are almost stereotypically what we'd like to portray to the world of who Canadians are. And you really capture those people. I mean, this is how I think people outside of Canada view Canada. And I think it's actually how we in our best moments like to view ourselves, right? Right. I, I, I don't disagree. And yeah. and the voice and the humor, I think there's, I'm not even sure I can explain it, but I believe that there is a sort of Canadian sense of humor that right. is is different, perhaps only subtly from the senses of humor you have in other countries, particularly in the United States or, or in Britain. Uh, and yeah, regardless of where my novels are set, I am a Canadian. I've lived right. all of my 62 years, which I find hard even to enunciate out loud that it's been that long, um, in Canada. So right. uh, it's, I mean, I don't think I could write something that didn't have a Canadian tinge to it if only for right. the voice and and the sense of humor but. right oh and before i just kind of and you somehow managed to give two elderly women hero positions in the <laughs> in the in the in the book i mean that's uh i mean that is quite the feat i mean women actually that are already in you know uh in a retirement home setting Yes. Whose brilliance is so, you know, they're they're so capable that they, they actually single-handedly almost save the day. I don't want to give away right. too much, but but I mean it's um I mean that I mean tell us a little bit about that because I mean you don't see a lot of uh older women portrayed in those kinds of roles. So how how did you end up pulling that off? Well, I I I was very active in the student movement in my university years and spent a number of years working in that in that world. I was president of the Students' Union at McMaster and on the, you know, uh, at all the national conferences and involved in, in all of that. And there is a very prominent feminist strand that runs through the national student movement. And I, I just became uh, quite, uh, hmm, what's the word? I was seized by, mm -hmm. by that issue, even though mm -hmm. I hail from, the most privileged demographic in the history of human civilization, the middle-aged white male. Uh, but I, I'm also an engineer and the, the numbers spoke to me that over half the population of the world is affected on a daily basis, you know, to a great extent, sometimes to a harrowing life-threatening extent and other times maybe not so much, but uh, women uh, face challenges every day and equality is still uh, a distant goal despite the great strides we've made. So that's been a, a social issue, a cause that I sort of took on as, as my, my chosen cause, you know, 30 years ago or more. Well, no, 40 years ago, sorry. Um, 
So, and I realized when I was writing these novels that uh, older women tend to disappear in our literature. So true, uh, so true. And, you know, you read, there aren't that many, there are some, but there aren't that many Canadian novels or any novels for that matter where older women take their rightful place and their wisdom and years of experience and insight is, is uh, you know, is, seems to be sacrificed uh, and, and they fade into the background. So I, with my first novel and all through all, all of my novels, I have tried to uh, portray older women in positions of leadership and strength and power that are, mm -hmm. and influence that are playing a role in the story beyond, you know, the ornamental, well, we better put an older woman in just to round out our demographic compliment. Yeah. That was, wasn't the interest. I want them to, be, to play important roles. Uh, so that's a long-winded way of saying that's why uh, yeah. I have older women in this novel, as I have in, I think there's, in almost all of them, there is an older woman who plays uh, an important role in the story. So it's sort of my, my, my yeah. one-writer crusade to restore the luster to older women's role in, in Canadian literature. <laughs> That's great. I think you did a great, great job. Yeah, I loved I loved the portrayal of women. Now you mentioned that um you don't like to do research in your writing stuff, you know, but of course not all of your books are set. It was fantastic to see a return to these characters, but you wrote in between a bunch of novels that are set in very different milieus. How do you decide or how did you decide with those books um what you know milieu you were going to work in? Well, it, there's usually, I mean, despite the fact that I hope the novels are, are funny, uh, it doesn't mean that there isn't a serious uh, goal behind them. Uh, so I, I'm usually writing about an issue that, that I'm interested in or, or committed to uh, and want to shed some light on it. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's almost by stealth that I want the reader to understand something about the world or right. think about, consider these issues and perhaps draw some conclusions maybe for the first time in, in their minds. Uh, so, I mean, my, my one, two, three, uh, my fifth novel, Pulls Apart, is my, my feminist uh, comic novel. Um, my two novels ago, Albatross, is kind of about that tension that exists between success and happiness and too often we confuse them that the, yeah. they're, the, they're the same thing uh, but they aren't the same thing so I, I created a scenario that allowed the reader not to mention the narrator to to consider the difference between success and happiness and what's really important mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes there are some roots in my own life often I guess that prompt such uh, decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I had a, I had a 35 year in the public affairs communications consulting business, uh, and uh, I thought I loved my job. Yeah. Turns out, I only liked my job. Right. Uh, I, when I wrote my first novel in 2005, it didn't come out till a few years later, but that's when I wrote it. Yeah. Uh, I remember this almost this epiphany that oh, this is what it feels like to love what you do. And since that, that revelation, I've been trying to figure out how I could only write. Right. Uh, and it, was, it took until uh, last March. Uh, and 
aided by marrying very well. Uh, <laughs> writing I, is, I, yes. <laughs> so I, I'm writing full time now. Yeah. Um, but uh, which is wonderful and, and my great. dream. But so there, uh, I forget how I got onto that, but there, there's something I'm usually trying to, to yeah. figure out. You know, yeah. my thir third novel, Up and Down, which also features an, an older woman, uh, is, you know, it's about Canada-US relations. It's about uh, sexual equality, sexual orientation. Uh, it's about, you know, the power of the media. It's about many different things, but uh, it's usually something that has seized me and I want to kind of explore it and give readers an opportunity to give passing thought to those issues as well. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking about your writing career, so, I mean, you know, let's, I mean, when you started out, I mean, you had a hard time finding a publisher. And I, I love this story because I think it's yeah. a lot of writers go through this. And I mean, there's that, I mean, writing is such a, you know, it's such a, you know, it seems almost tried to say it, but it's such a hard career to begin with. And even when you're mm -hmm. super successful, it's really hard to monetize. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, but you, you syndicated your first novel and then if that, so tell us about that journey a little bit and, and how that happened. Yeah, well, in, in a way, in hindsight, it was not surprising that I perhaps had difficulty finding a publisher because I'd written a satirical novel of Canadian politics. And <laughs> there's perhaps a reason that there aren't that many satirical novels of Canadian politics in bookstores. Uh, but uh, I, I thought it was more important that I write about something that I knew about, that I understood, that I cared about and had some used the word advocacy earlier in a different context, but right. was, in a way I was advocating through this novel for a different path we might take in politics. I thought that was more important than say, jumping on the vampire novel bandwagon and trying right. to write a vampire novel because I couldn't have done that and it wouldn't have been believable and it probably would yeah. have been a horrible book. Uh, so I, I, I wrote what I thought I, I ought to write even if it wasn't commercially successful. And I spent a year sending out uh, you know, query letters, plot synopses, sample chapters to literary agents and publishers across Canada and down into the United States. And of course, I waited for the feeding frenzy to ensue over my debut blockbuster <laughs> novel. And I waited and waited and diligently followed up and waited some more. And after a year of doing that, I had received exactly zero rejection letters. I hadn't made a big enough impression on the traditional publishing establishment to generate an automated rejection letter. Wow. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a bit discouraging, though I actually wasn't that discouraged. I mean, I was 45 when I wrote it. I, I had some sense of what it was like to try to break into it just because the, the research yeah. I, I had done on the publishing world. So, and, you know, I think I was better equipped at 45 to deal with the silence than I might have been yeah. had I been 25 and pinning yeah. all of my career hopes on this mm -hmm. first novel. Uh, I already had a, I mean, I was running my own business at the time with a, you know, a co-founder of the firm we, we started. So um, it was, it was a passion, but I wasn't mm -hmm. destroyed by the silence. Mm -hmm. So it was my wife who finally said, you know, why don't you just self-publish it? Just if only to be done with it. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about self-publishing. If I then, if I had known then what I know now, I'm not sure I would have done it. But right. I, I did. I laid down my 
$1,400 or whatever it was then and uh, went through the editing process. And as a communications and marketing person, I realized nobody was going to find this self-published novel. It was going to be in no bookstores across the country. They, they just, you can't get them into yeah. bookstores unless you walk them in and foist them on an unsuspecting bookstore manager. Uh, so I, I decided I needed to build an audience for it before it came out. And that's when I came upon the idea of podcasting the novel in its entirety, chapter by chapter, and giving it away for free on iTunes um, and, and other podcast uh, repositories. And I tried that. I didn't know at the time that no one had done that in Canada before, but uh, ignorance is sometimes a, a blessing. Uh, yeah. And I just went ahead and did it. I was already a podcaster. I'd been podcasting in my day job for a, almost a year by then. Well, right. two years by then. Uh, so I, I co-hosted a, a show, a weekly half hour show on the public relations communications agency world with a colleague. And so I knew I had the, the technical skills to set up the equipment, record it, add mm -hmm. the music, fade out the music and all the things that uh, I'm sure you are familiar with now too. But uh, so I did that without knowing whether anybody would find it. And if they did find it, would they find favor uh, with it, but it was a, a, a shock that people seemed to find it, uh, and I started getting emails and, and positive comments. Frankly, at the time, I didn't even know whether I had written a novel. Uh, I, 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 did, I didn't know. Um, you know, you, you get so close to it. I didn't know whether the characters were believable, whether the story held together, whether it was funny. Mm -hmm. I just had this faint inkling that it was finished. Um, so I, but the comments I got from people and I mean, frankly, I wasn't convinced that anyone in Canada would be interested yet, let alone the people I've got comments from, from other parts of the world who somehow found it. Uh, and it was the first, I considered it to be the first objective feedback I ever had on the novel because right. I didn't believe my wife and my twin brother and my sister-in-law who said, this is, this is great. Uh, but they love me. So yeah. are they, am I really going to get the, the straight goods from them? But the guy in Kuala Lumpur who, <laughs> who said, when, when is the next chapter coming? I must know what happens next. Uh, those comments were extraordinarily gratifying and potent for me as a writer who didn't really know what he was doing. Uh, so it was courtesy of those podcast comments that uh, sort of gave me the resolve to go ahead and, and push the big red button and actually self-publish it and, mm -hmm. and get it out there. And so that that's really how it started. That's, really that's a fantastic uh, story. Um, what do you think, uh, what, what advice would you give to that kind of 25 year old yeah. writer who is pinning their hopes on it because it is so, I always think of it as such a heartbreaking profession. The barrier to entry is really low for the writing part because you just, you know, but the barrier for entry to getting read is so high. Yeah. And that's a very good way of putting it, Susan. You're right. It's, uh, it's, it's easier to write it than it is to be read. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the advice, uh, if I sort of look back on what happened to me, uh, I just think it's important that, that people write about something that they deeply care about, that, that fascinates them, that interests mm -hmm. them, that can sustain them through a whole uh, 100,000 word manuscript, mm -hmm. uh, and that they not try to leap on to whatever the latest publishing trend is. Uh, 
unless it happens to coincide with something that is meaningful for them. Uh, and that the really good books, regardless of what they're about, you hope will somehow find their way to, mm -hmm. to readers. And, and that was, you know, the blessing in, in, in my writing life early on was that that, that you know, that self-published novel uh, somehow miraculously won the Leacock Medal in 2008, yeah. which <laughs> changed my life literally in an instant. Right. Uh, and that, and then Canada Reads came along two years later. So those two things combined, I think are really what, what's largely responsible for whatever uh, modest success my novels have had because it, it put them in the hands of more readers than I ever had the right to expect. So I, I feel like I've exhausted my lifetime allocation of good fortune. <laughs> well, well you, you kind of earn it by writing books that people love. So you no, it's not a lot of happiness. It was, it, I mean, it, like neither of us could put it down. So I would recommend anyone watching this to go and buy it. Uh, and now I need to go back and read all the other books yes. with the characters in them. I need to know. Angus, and I guess it's showing up backwards on mine. But I well, also love the cover. It's very stylish. I love the spy angle. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I love I, the way that you drop the, the references to your previous book so beautifully. And oh, I was like, yeah. oh, well, now I need to find out what happened on that tangent. So I thought that was a bit cheeky on my part. I didn't know whether it would actually make it through the editing process, but but that my editor thought it was kind of fun. So it we, is just, totally we left fun. it in. Well, <laughs> Where's I, the Scottish coming from? Oh, yeah. Well, it's uh, there's not really as much of a story behind that. It's rather pedestrian, but I just thought there might be some comic potential yeah. in a thick Scottish accent and the kind of Scottish vernacular that uh, would be fun to explore. But also that uh, someone who speaks the mother tongue uh, might be more likely to be a, a, a grammarian. It doesn't come up that often. Right in Operation Angus, but in the first two novels, both Angus and Daniel, the narrator are, and I for that matter, have great reverence for proper use of, of the language. And it, there's some fun moments in there where they are you know, debating one another and correcting others <laughs> uh, the proper usage. So, uh, and it was just, a, I just thought it would be kind of fun uh, yeah. to do that. So, and if you listen to the early podcast episodes, I really didn't know how to do a Scottish accent. Uh, <laughs> and I think over the years, just by dint of repetition, I, I think I have I've figured it out. It sounds a little more Scottish now, but I remember a very early reading I did at some festival and someone came up to me afterwards and said, your Angus sounds like a Russian Quebecer. <laughs> <laughs> so it was okay. not what I was going for, right? but uh, anyway. Out. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. So uh, we have we have less than three minutes left. So so tell us what's what's next. Are you going to revive these characters again? Are you going to move to a different location? What's what's the plan? Well, my my next novel is well, it's not finished, but the manuscript is with my publisher now. We've done one round of edits, and I'm waiting for the next one to come back. Uh, and uh, it's it's not it's not an Angus and Daniel novel. Uh, it's and it may be a little. It doesn't exactly lend itself to humor quite as as easily as some of my other novels. But it's a novel about loss and recovery. Uh, it's a novel about Paris in the 1920s. Mm -hmm. uh, 
the story is not set in the 20s, but there are echoes mm. from the 20s. Uh, it's a, saw, a story about male friendship. Mm -hmm. We don't have too many novels uh, that examine male friendship and, yeah. and how guys are friends with one another. Uh, and there's songwriting in it as well. So I know that feels like a whole disparate cast of elements, but uh, I hope they come together uh, in this novel. And I've had fun with it so far. So we'll see. We'll see. So that's coming out. It should be coming out this coming August. Wow. And the, Ooh, the working insane. title is A New Season. Okay. Great. Who well, knows if it'll survive the, the editing the process, process. That's the current title. Right. Well, I think male friendship is actually a very hot topic. I mean, uh, you know, you read a lot about how men are actually, especially men when they hit a certain age, are, and women for that part too, are, are terribly lonely. So, I mean, right. it's really, and it's interesting. You're right. I don't, just like you don't see a lot of, uh, Septigarian, I'm, I'm going to butcher that word right now. Um, heroes, uh, you don't see a lot of books about, you know, middle-aged men um, right. and, their, and their buddies told in a tender way, I'm assuming. Right. Well, yeah. And, and without generalizing, I think yeah. women are much better at, at, at friendship than, than men are. Uh, we're still kind of locked into the stereotypes of how we're supposed to behave. And mm -hmm. I think as we get older, those start to break down a little more and, I mean, I have, I'm doing a lot more hugging of my male friends now than I ever did when I was younger. And That's so nice. Wow. Yeah, and I actually have one friend when we greet, he hugs me and then he kisses me on the cheek. Aww. And like that's, that's, uh, and it feels quite, it didn't feel natural the first time it happened, but a few years later, it, it feels quite natural now. And, uh, you know, those are the kinds of, I mean, that's a, that's a rather simplistic yeah example about it but uh it's certainly something that uh, i've noticed over the years and uh we need to get better at it men men need to be better at uh at friendship i think i think that's actually actually very very true um mm. a nice antidote to you know the toxic masculinity we talk about all the time yeah, exactly <laughs> so, you know exactly anyway thank you so much for appearing today mm. this was really great again um uh, Terry Fallis, author of Operation Angus, um, as well as seven other best-selling books that you should go out and buy right now. Yes, there's uh, a great so website, terryfallis.com, if you want to learn more about the author and his books. And his Substack. So don't forget the Substack. So we didn't there get to, chance to talk about that. Um, <laughs> That's because I'm so long-winded. Well, no, so many great things to talk about. But we'll have you on again if you'll, if you'll do us the pleasure. And... Um, we will tune in, at, everyone tune in again next Tuesday, and uh, Susan and I will have someone else to uh, talk to about books. Speak to you again. Bye, everybody. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Terry. Bye.